0: As voters in the United States have increasingly elected candidates from a wider range of racial and ethnic backgrounds, gender and sexuality expressions, and religious identifications, atheists are a group that have yet to break into the mainstream of American politics. A recent Gallup poll conducted in early 2020 concluded that only about 60% of Americans would be comfortable voting for someone who identifies as an atheist. While this is up leaps and bounds from the levels of support illustrated for atheist candidates in Gallup polls conducted back in the late 1950s, it stands in stark contrast to voter comfort with other religious identifications like Judaism, Catholicism, and evangelical Christians. In today's episode, we hear from a remarkably complex and fascinating voter who also happens to be an avowed atheist. Mark Stickney is an HVAC plumbing sales engineer musician, and actor from Chicago, Illinois. He tells us his story about growing up in a conservative southern town and his transition from this socialization to his now active role in progressive politics. Triggered at a young age to, quote, question everything, as he puts it, Mark explains how his journey to progressive politics and voting is inextricably tied with his embrace of atheism. While he began his time as an active voter feeling more or less apathetic during the 2004 elections, his passion for learning and epistemology brought him to the political activism he engages in today. He and I muse about the impossibility of religious freedom, and Mark clarifies that being an atheist does not mean one hates religion. We argue for the imperative of self-reflection in today's politics, and Mark shares how his vote is tied back to how it might impact others. Voting for me, he shares, means doing my part to make life better for somebody else. It's about the active effort of thinking of others and putting them above myself. Ultimately, Mark hopes that his activism and vote will leave the world a better place for his children and all who will come after them. Welcome to this week's episode of What Voting Means to Me.
1: I just so appreciate your interest in doing this i want to make sure i have a cross-section of voices and yeah. it's just the beginning you know so i'm i'm right. interviewing everyone i had a really interesting kind of debate with will last night he's like you know mara you need to get some big names on that on there and i was like yeah i guess so and he was like yeah you should do what dax Shepard does and have like I don't know if you listen to the Dax Shepherd's armchair expert podcast, but he has an episode where he brings on just one of his like friends, like a celebrity guest, and then he an episode where he brings on an expert in something, like a whole range okay. of topics. Yeah. Says, so yeah, you could do like, you know, big name politicians and then your average voter. And my response to him was, This is a podcast about democracy, and I'm not gonna hierarchize this. <laughs> this whole experience yeah. you know right. um so yeah i'm i'm just kind of i'm looking you know for anyone who's interested in sharing their experiences yeah. why don't we go ahead and get started and sure. i will again thank you for being here uh, quote being here um so <laughs> right. so lovely to see you and you i will start with my my first question which is tell us a little bit about yourself, related to voting or not related to voting, but anything you sort of feel called to share about who you are uh, and what you do with your life um, before we dive into some of the specific questions would be really great.
2: Yeah. Um, so uh, so as you mentioned, it's, So I'm not an engineer. I'm a sales engineer. So I, I actually don't have a college degree in anything. Um, never finished. Um, okay. But so sales engineering. So when I Essentially, when I got into my industry that I work in, I started out specializing. And, um, well, first I started managing the office that for the company I was hired for, and then I learned the engineering on the end of pumps. Um, so that's what I started out specializing in, was designing pumps for large facilities. Um, and then as I learned all that, I started to learn uh, all the other building operations. So how valves function, how the actuators function, how building automation works, how boilers function, etc. So all that stuff. And now I'm on the HVAC side of things as well. Um, so so what my, what I do is I sell directly to end users throughout Chicago. So I sell to all the school districts, universities, hospitals, um, et cetera. So I'm the guy where, let's say Friday night, uh, valve explodes in the EER at midnight and the engineers in the building don't know what to replace it with. I'm the guy who they call to identify it and tell them, this is what you need to replace it with. I have it in stock. Get it out to you, you put it in yourselves or hire a contractor. Um, So that's basically what I do.
3: Wow.
2: Um, In a nutshell. Um, But uh, uh, so trying to think what else without diving too deep into like the actual things. Um, Obviously, I'm a singer and performer. um, So very involved in the arts uh, as well, um, which I love. I've been writing poetry since I was seven publishing it since I was 14, I think. When I was going to school, I studied uh, epic poetry within ancient languages with a minor in the philosophy of religion. So I'm kind of just an (laughs) all-over-the-place dude. Um, And that's how it goes with how I got into politics eventually, because I wasn't involved in politics for a very long time. So
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. No, (laughs) that that background is so... um... Fascinating and wonderful, I think, for um, folks to have that perspective on all of, like, the different interests that you have. And yeah. uh, I will definitely encourage folks to check out your poetry on uh, your Instagram page or wherever you would like me to plug it because yeah, uh, that's it's really... much where I put it right now. It's... Yeah. <laughs> it's as someone who... <laughs> who reads it. It's really yeah. wonderful and it's really mm-hmm. beautiful. Okay. So this is, this is a great, uh, I think segue, you know, you have your professional work, which sounds like it was a really kind of tactile learn by doing process is that you like developed to get into this whole industry, HVAC plumbing. Um, that's really, really amazing, mm-hmm. but you're this really, really creative person as well. You're a singer, a performer, you write poetry and you just mentioned only recently you started getting more active in politics. So I do want to talk about that. But first, yep. I want to ask you to dip back into your memory and see if you can recall your first memory of democracy like did your parents take you to the polls did you watch campaign ads on tv it can be anything it doesn't have to be you know anything specific related to those two things um but yeah just right. your first your first was, memory of democracy i
2: was trying to think of it earlier when because uh, i listened to this week's podcast while i was driving around seeing customers earlier um but uh so m- the majority of my youth was like almost no politics um so the, but the one that sticks out to me is when i was growing up in louisiana that was when uh david duke was trying to run for governor and my my mom that was a very rare time for her to be um really talking about it a lot you know because he used to be the grand wizard of the kkk um and uh you know, and I remember her saying at one point that if he got, if he won the election that we would probably move out of the state.
3: Um,
2: and then there really wasn't like, that's the one thing that sticks out. And then there really wasn't much, like, I remember, I remember her not liking Clinton. My mom is conservative <laughs> FY. So mm-hmm. that's what I was raised as, but I remember her not liking Clinton. Um, And then her loving Bush. Uh, The first time, so I was old for my class. So I actually turned 18 before my senior year, but I was either just insanely apathetic or I actually didn't know that I could register to vote for that election. So I didn't vote for the 2000 election. So the first time I was able to vote um, or did vote because I could have voted for a local election in 2002 in Wisconsin, but I didn't uh long story short on that end I was very apathetic in politics for a long time um first time I did vote was the 2004 presidential and I actually voted for Bush and I deeply regret it on so many levels <laughs> like not at, like Bush lost Wisconsin in that election uh not by a oh, lot though Oh
1: god that's right I yeah. 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 He lost That's it, right. but
2: by only like 1800 votes. So Nader was the independent and he got 16,000 votes in Wisconsin. Um, oh wait. So Kerry, sorry, Kerry won by more than what I said. Kerry won by uh, roughly around 11,000 votes, but Nader got 16,000. Mm. Um, yeah. So that was my first vote. <laughs> and I remember because, you know, because I was still, I was much more liberal was significantly more liberal than my mother at that point. Um, but I was still slightly in that conservative bubble where my rationale at the time, and I remember the talking points, was "Carry such a flip-flopper. How can he handle the Iraq war?
3: Mm.
1: So, yeah, what, I, what I'm hearing is, some, so 2004 was my first vote as well. Yeah. And I remember those talking points so well. Yeah. And, yeah. like, kudos for you for sort of remembering that and like recognizing oh yeah these are political talking points Mm -hmm. um oh yeah (laughs) and you know for what it's worth i i think that there are many folks out there who have different votes they've cast that they regret um and we know that kids are socialized politically by their parents so it's not surprising that that initially was sort of the preference that you were forming and on this particular podcast i'm all about you know i want to hear about like what the act of voting means, and you know, I will never challenge a guest on a vote choice. That's just not what I'm, what I'm really interested in, uh, per se. Yeah. So, in any case, yes, 2004 was also my, my, my first election as well. Yeah. So, I'm curious of just a, a quick follow up question. So, you voted 2004. The candidate for the president you voted for, uh, that candidate won. What did that feel like? Do you remember feeling like, all right, my my candidate won. This is great, or just sort of not really having a strong reaction?
2: Um I didn't I didn't have a strong reaction because I didn't like Bush. So gotcha i I voted for him for illogical reasons, despite not liking him. <laughs> you know gotcha,
1: gotcha. Um, okay.
2: so in in, in my mind, at the time, he was the lesser of two evils, even though I know when by now, I know, you know, I knew not too long after that 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 was a stupid decision of mine and very irrational. Um, but I didn't know, I wasn't trained to question myself and to go through that process yet.
1: So, 2004, your first vote. And mm-hmm. sort of, it sounds like though what you are saying is that. It really, only was more recently that you felt even more active in the political system beyond voting, or were there things that happened between 2004 and 2020 that a lot of, of things, yeah, yeah,
2: a lot, a lot, a lot yeah.
1: Of we'll share any, any, and all, <laughs> any, and all are welcome,
2: yeah. So, um, between 2004 and 2008, uh, again, still very apathetic, um, but then when Obama came on the scene, I got much more interested. Like John McCain, like I knew at the time, like he was one of the better of the Republicans. Um, so I wasn't like in the, in the front of my mind. I wasn't scared about him. I knew I wasn't going to vote for him. Like I, like I knew I liked Obama, and I liked Obama more than I liked Hillary right off the bat, um, in and that, in that election, um, mostly on policy. Um, for that and for progressive issues. Like I wanted a black president, you know, um, but I also wanted a a female president too. I just liked him more. So my brain like immediately kind of had that go with it. But then when McCain chose Palin and she just started to say just insanely ignorant things all over the place, I was just like, okay, we need to do everything we can so that that doesn't happen because that's really scary. Um, and, like, that was just an, a scary level of stupidity happening on a national level. And, like, you know, the media had become something a lot more at that point because we're now in the age of technology at a much heavier point. Um, and so, um, so, yeah, so I started to get a little more involved. Still not very involved, but definitely talking more, voicing my opinion more, So for me to tell you the story of how I became more progressive, I kind of also have to tell you the story of how I fell away from religion. That's Um, okay.
1: Oh my God. 100%
2: welcome. Um, 100% welcome. So growing up, growing up conservative Christian, first Presbyterian then Southern Baptist and then evangelical free later on. Um, so growing up conservative, uh, You know, all the doomsday, if you're gay, you're going to hell, uh, etc. type teaching moments. Um, By the time I was 12, I had read the Bible through and through. I finished it, and I was like, huh, something is off in the story for me here. And then I'd go into Sunday school class, and like I remember one day specifically, the Sunday school teacher was talking about, uh, I forget which... Uh, I forget which chapter it was, but it was book of Matthew. And he said something. And I looked at him and I said, that's not what any of that text means. And he said, what do you mean? I said, the text literally says this. And I read it to him. And he's like, what you just said as an interpretation doesn't make sense. And he kicked me out of Sunday school.
0: Oh, he kicked you out? Yeah, he kicked me out.
2: Yeah.
1: Where did you <laughs> just wait did you just wait
2: i just waited until it was until church was done and met up with my mom and we left or whatever but uh so that started like that moment triggered a number of things in my head um and so i started to question i didn't really because I, I stayed christian for quite a while um but i started to question the organization and how mm-hmm. it's taught and um like that struck me as a moment of hate where like he didn't want to be challenged at all mm. in, in his interpretation of what the text is. He just wanted to indoctrinate us to how he thought it should be. Mm. Um, and so that made that, that right there really started my questioning authority. But anyways.
1: Wow. That's, that's an so, impressionable age. That's that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's like a yeah. really impressionable age.
2: Yeah. And so as I had, so I grew up loving reading. So the first book that I really read on my own all the way through was the odyssey. So I grew up loving mythology. And so um, I kind of just started challenging myself with like, well, maybe I should start reading other world religions and other texts and see what, see what the, what the broader perspective is on religion or faith and gods and no gods or, you know, monotheism versus polytheism, et cetera. Um, so I just started to read everything. Um, uh, first I went through, uh, the sutras and everything, the Dhammapada and all that with Buddhism. Um, uh, uh, once I got back into reading mythology, I, uh, went to the Epic of Mesh, which of course is Zoroastrianism, which is the very first recorded religion. Wow. And then once I, once I found out that that was the very first recorded religion, then a bunch of fireworks started to go off in my head. I'm like, okay. I'm challenging myself now. I'm like, why was that the first recorded religion? But I'm taught that Christianity is the one true religion. Um, so uh, so I just, I really started to challenge myself. Um, tap onto that. When I'm 16, I finally get into theater. So okay. I'm taught my whole life that gay people are going to hell, right? Then I start doing theater and I actually meet in a very small white conservative town for my first time when i'm doing community theater a person who was uh out wow as gay and we became like best friends and so then i was like he's not going to hell <laughs> and so so then i threw that out so then i become more progressive and i start to fight for my gay friends um especially when my mom would ask me why i'm hanging out with them so then pretty much fast forward to by my early 20s i'm agnostic um Is what I deem myself. Start to become more and more progressive as as I'm becoming more and more comfortable calling myself an agnostic. So then, by so in 2008, I was 26, so I was agnostic, more much more progressive. By 2012, very progressive. By 2013, atheist fully progressive and questioning everything in my head wow um so the second the second that i realized that i consider myself an atheist i started like one the one of the first things i clicked was if i believed that my whole life but i'm willing to admit now that i don't what other things throughout my whole life have i believed that aren't actually true or i don't believe are true right now Mm. so like i started to go through things like you know like the claim uh um that uh aldous huxley made uh when he wrote um doors of perception when he claimed that we only use 10 percent of our brain and that became a, that became a thing forever like people still use that and so like I, I i started to revisit a lot of these things because i remember telling people that before that we only use 10 percent of our brain and um uh you know and about opening up the doors of perception in our brain whether it be through lsd or through like whatever <laughs> um, and uh, so like that was one of the first things that I went to revisit. Yeah, totally not true. We use all of our brain all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's, that's nonsense. <laughs> oh uh, um, <clears throat> so yeah, so I started to do a lot of that. So basically when when I realized that I consider myself an atheist, I just, I started down another path of I want to be as honest with myself as possible. Mm-hmm. you know about these things. So that's when I like really started to then get into epistemology,
3: you mm-hmm. know, like
2: understanding why we believe things.
3: Mm-hmm. You know?
2: Um and so it's just really just questioning everything. Like why like why did I why did I vote for Obama in 2012? Like I was able to break that down. Like there were mm-hmm. certain policies and things that he had that I didn't like and you know whatever um, but overall, it's like, yeah, he's deb- absolutely the better candidates.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: being able to go through that whole process where you can, in the end, if people ask you, ask you the question of why did you do this, and whatever, I would actually be able to answer.
1: Okay, okay.
3: Yeah. Fully. You know,
2: like a full disclosure of like beginning to end. This is how I came to this conclusion. And that's, and that's, it's been, you know, of course, everybody, when I tell them I'm an atheist, they're like, oh, so you hate religion. It's like, no, that's not what that means. I actually fight for people's religious liberties every day online (laughs) all over the place. Yeah. Um. Uh, it just means that I don't believe in God that's it it's all it means that's literally just has a definition but yeah and so that started because then like once I did that I also started to realize the insane amounts of Islamophobia and anti-semitism like still constantly in practice everywhere and it's like it kind of just opened my mind up to this whole world that I because I didn't have, Let's say a college education in political science or anything like that, it opened my eyes up to that world of like, oh yeah. now I need to educate myself on all of the stuff that I've missed out
3: on. Yeah. Um,
2: so so now and now I'm very involved in politics all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and very active and very vocal.
1: That's an amazing backstory in terms of your journey towards progressivism. And I, I have a couple of follow-up questions, but the one observation <laughs> yeah. I'll make. You describe yourself as constantly questioning things. And I I think the way that I hear that is someone who is very curious, that you have like an innate curiosity. And that's a really beautiful thing. And, you know, it makes sense that with that sort of innate curiosity that you're drawn towards something like progressivism, which is, you know, open to new ideas and, you know, exploring New possibilities mm-hmm. and policies, so all of that makes a lot of sense to me. Like that's a very, a very well explained, well supported <laughs> response, as as you say. Um, so I'm I'm curious about the moment when you made this connection between. All right, I'm getting less and less religious as I age and experience the world and. You know, come into contact with folks who are different than me and who are different from, you know, what I was told was, you know, a moral person as a child, less and less religious, uh, more and more progressive. Do you remember if there was a particular point where you made the connection between that and, oh, so I can channel this into my vote choice or I can channel this into my my political activism more generally? Do you remember like when that link happened or was it sort of this subtle process that developed over time.
2: It was almost right at the point where I realized that I was an atheist. Mm. Like when I realized that, and so, so side note, so when I realized I was an atheist, um, I was, that's when I started my, uh, my current position in my company. And so I was on the road all the time, which I am now. So I'm on the road going to these buildings to help the building engineers figure things out basically. Um, And so Well, the second I started being on the road all the time and wasn't in the office all the time, uh, I started to listen to podcasts. So uh, I started, first I started with religious podcasts um, because I was still, I still study religion every day. It fascinates me to Mm -hmm. no end. Um, So first I started with uh, religious podcasts and, or at least religious discussion podcasts. And then that kind of morphed into, I would start hearing about other podcasts, you know, where guests would come on, they promote each other and et cetera. And then at one point and on one podcast, uh, Matt Delahunty from the Atheist Experience, I don't know mm-hmm. if you know who he is.
1: Uh, I don't, um, the he, name sounds a little familiar. I'll have to look him up. Yeah, yeah. He, he,
2: He's a, he's a fairly well-known philosopher. Um, and, and very active atheist and, uh, very active in politics as well. Um, but, uh, anyway, so one podcast led me to the atheist experiment, which is, I think that was the show where I'm like, it clicked because growing up conservative Christian, one of the words that they try to never use around you is atheism. Oh, so, so it's like, it was I think it was literally just one of those words that I didn't really hear a lot. And then I started hearing it every day, listening to podcasts and I was like, oh, Okay. That's me. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, but then in a lot of those, the atheist podcasts that I started to listen to, a lot of them were very politically active Mm. in, in progressive movements. Um, and so I started to listen to them and I was like, Oh, I'm a progressive. Like these are all things that I absolutely agree with that I actually think about all the time. I just didn't have a definition Mm -hmm. or a way to define it for myself before because I wasn't active in politics yet. Um, So once I started hearing that, it was, so that was, it was a very quick uh, transition, you know, of, of still a slight apathy to, okay, let's go,
3: (laughs) you know,
2: like, let's do this. Like, I'm ready to take on myself. I'm ready to take on others. (laughs) Like I'm ready to, you know, kind of just do it. When you said, um, like how I was interested in how my progressivism came with um, challenging myself and Mm -hmm. everything what came with that was the more that I challenged myself, the more I understood my privilege. Mm. And so the more that I understood my privilege, the more that I started to care about everyone else other than me all the time. Mm. Um, So, and everything that I do, I try to keep other people in the back of my head. Mm -hmm. Like every, like if I'm making a decision on like, whether it be on a vote or a conversation that I'm having with somebody, I'm trying to make sure that I'm, not denigrating a community or uh, or a, a race or a gender or a sex in any you know in any particular way. Like I'm, I'm very I'm, I try to be very careful with the words that I use. Uh, no, you know because growing up a white Christian straight male, mm-hmm. there's a lot of language that gets ingrained in you mm-hmm. and that you can use naturally, very unhealthily. So yeah, so I just try to keep that in the back of my head at all times. Like i not, basically, I for the last at least ten years, but more so for the last seven years, I've been re-educating myself.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's really. <clears throat> uh, I, I again want to just observe that that type of self reflection is really beautiful, but it's also really challenging, and it, it takes a healthy sense of self uh, to understand one's privilege based on one's, one's positionality. So I, I really applaud yeah. you for that. And I, I want to just Please. circle back around to uh, something that you had said, you know, keeping others in the back of your mind uh, as often as possible, you know, and so you had mentioned that in the context of, of when, when you vote. Uh, and so I want to ask you a question yeah. I asked on the first episode uh, with William Lee, who you also mm-hmm. know. I do. <laughs> he's, he's pretty great. I'm going to ask you, though, um, who do you think about when you vote, is there anyone specific? Do you think about your family? Do you think about your community? Like, does anyone come to mind? Like, when you're when you're casting a ballot?
2: So, in the last election um, in 2016, uh, my daughter, because she uh, she had just been born
3: mm-hmm. that
2: February that February prior um, to to the vote, um, so she was very much in my mind. Of course. Um, and I and I feared for, uh, for what her future could possibly look like with a Trump reality. Mm. How do you, you know?
1: How do you feel about that right now? If you don't mind me asking,
2: I hope we're I hope we're at a turning point where mm-hmm. enough people realize how unethical
3: mm-hmm.
2: this White House is on a million levels. Yeah. <laughs> um, So, you know, the the one thing that gives me hope with it is 2016 gave rise to a new level of progressivism. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, With the Sanders campaign in particular. Yeah, with the Sanders
2: campaign, Mm -hmm. the Sanders campaign catapulted um, uh, uh, a lot, a lot of movement. um, And that gave uh, so kind of, I guess, a shout out to Young Turks, because then they started Justice Democrats and because of Justice Democrats, we have AOC, we have uh, Ilhan Omar. Um,
1: uh, Rashida, believe, Tlaib. Or
2: Rashida Tlaib. Rashida Talib was also a Justice Democrat. Um, so all the more famous progressives that the White House hates came from that, mm-hmm. um, including a lot of others that weren't on the on Justice Democrats platform. Um, but uh, so that that gives me hope. Because of the Electoral College, though, I still fear
3: mm-hmm.
2: that uh, that we're stuck.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: you know, we won't really know until we obviously won't know until the election. But one of the reasons I will always feel disenfranchised in the presidential election is because of the Electoral College, because my vote literally means less in the grand scale of everything than somebody who's voting in Wyoming. Yep. You know? Yep. Um, and so that... Like I, I hate the presidential election for that reason. I think that's the dumbest thing. It's the only national election. And the fact that it's not a popular vote is wild to me. <laughs> mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I want to I want to um, just follow on that thread just for a moment, feeling disenfranchised yeah. and like your voice has <clears> less weight because of the electoral college. Uh, can I ask, is that both because of the uh, equal apportionment in the Senate, you know, means that these smaller states have more electoral votes and have more weight? And because of the state that you live in, you're in this blue state where your vote yeah, doesn't absolutely. really, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely. Both of those things, it's um, I, it it makes things very uneven, and it literally makes people worth less on an electoral scale. hmm
1: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, and and it's worth um, noting, you know, I'll, I'll sort of chime in as a political scientist here. You know, we have pretty good evidence that the you know, political behavior and participation of folks who live in these more competitive states is just different and they're more incentivized to engage and participate in the presidential yeah. process as a result. So mm-hmm. uh, that's really understandable. I'm yeah. so sorry the, that you and experienced because of that. that. Same
2: thing- uh, like I know a lot of people who don't vote in the presidential election because they're just like, my vote does not like, uh, like in Illinois, they're just like, Illinois is going to vote for the Democrat. So why do I even bother? Because my vote doesn't really mean anything.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like
2: that's, that's the rationale on the back of their head. I mean, I try to encourage them. And I'm like, no, it still does. It just sucks. <laughs> so, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's why I'm, like local elections are much more like, I feel a lot more pride on a local election.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask um, you. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about presidential elections, but I would love to hear any uh, experiences or reflections that you have from uh, midterm elections, state and local elections. What, what what have those been like for you?
2: I did not get uh, involved in local elections uh, up until recently, really. Um, it was like this is part of my political journey and me re-educating myself and, you know, trying to really challenge myself as um, once – Once 2016 happened, even though I was much more involved in politics, I still, um, because of my background and not really knowing a lot still yet, I didn't know how important local elections were.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, so once I remember listening to a speech that Bernie gave in either 2015 or 2016, where he was specifically talking about local elections, and I was like, "Oh, I'm an idiot." You're
1: <laughs> not an idiot. You're not an idiot. Um,
2: <laughs> um, but that was what—that's literally what I thought to myself. I'm like, "I'm an idiot." Like, I just thought, like, Why did I never think about or consider these things?" Like, why? You know, it just—it blew my mind once. I, once I clicked, and I was just like, "Ah, okay." Now I'm now I'm involved in that. And so, um, so right away, I started to get involved locally. Um, a lot of my friends want me to run for various local things. Um, I might eventually go for like school board or something like that, but I don't want to do anything big. I would like, as a white male, I would much rather support women and minorities to Mm -hmm. win the elections. Like Mm -hmm. that's, you know, um, and I want to speak out about that because not enough white men are comfortable speaking about, uh, about issues of race or Mm -hmm. about issues of, uh, of sex and gender, Mm
3: -hmm. um,
2: and whatnot. And, you know, so the more that the more that I'm able to talk to my either conservative or moderate family or friends on a very rational level about all of these things and from an educated Mm -hmm. viewpoint, um, you know, like about women's rights and contraception and, uh, uh, you know, even the fact that, um, so many states still tax uh, feminine hygiene products.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, you absolutely. Know, and things like
2: that. Like, uh, like I've been, I've really tried to educate myself on all of those issues so that I can talk to other white men and be like, hey, this is actually really important. Like you might not care about it or know about it because you're uncomfortable talking about it or thinking about it or whatever, but break down that wall. And like this is really important because like you have kids, like you have a daughter,
3: mm-hmm. like
1: these
2: things matter to you going forward as well.
1: A couple of different observations. Like One, I think that you are correct that it is so important for people who are at any privileged intersection. So I am in this privileged intersection of being white. For folks who are willing to have the uncomfortable conversations, yes, but I think an equally important part of that is the vulnerability that you display in doing mm-hmm. that basically you know saying it's okay to be vulnerable about okay these are issues that maybe make me uncomfortable but I'm going to talk about them because it's important and I'm going to model what it looks like to work through that discomfort and yeah that is so needed in in so many different aspects of politics and activism uh so a, a question i have that stems from this in in terms of your engagement in in politics at any level it sounds like a lot of the engagement and activism you undertake pertains to having conversations to to talking to people yeah. um or is there anything else you'd like to add about the different things that you do
2: with, with our family schedule and my work schedule, I don't get to do – like I, I don't have time to knock doors and whatnot
3: because
2: mm-hmm. um, like when I – because I'm on the road all day long. By the time I get home from work, Christine usually needs to go to the studio so I'm with the kids all night mm-hmm. um, until she gets back and, you know, and I'm still simultaneously working while I'm taking care of the kids because mm. my job doesn't stop. Uh, so, so, yeah, so I, a lot of a lot of what I do is primarily online having discussions or even like when I'm with my customers having discussions with them when I'm in my office having discussions with my inside sales guys um uh you know what whatever it be um uh, a lot of online discussions of Mm -hmm. course on twitter you see my facebook page yeah Uh, (laughs) it's great (laughs) sometimes they're very hard those get really fun
1: (laughs) but you're so patient you're you're so patient and
3: and uh, that's
2: what I try that's like one of the things that like when I really started getting into epistemology, one of the things that I learned was patience in those conversations
3: mm-hmm. and
2: trying to be as reasonable without getting angry.
3: Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, because if you get angry and you start throwing out things, uh, you know, like when people call me a lip or or. Um, you know, or whatever stupid, you know, terms people use as, as defamisms against your political party. Like, I don't do any of that. I don't call names. I don't, you know, I just stick with, I try to stick with the facts. I'm like, Hey, here's what happened. Uh,
1: it sounds to me like you are someone who acts again from a place of curiosity, but also from a place of, activism and wanting to you know support marginalized communities and support progressive causes. Mm-hmm. And there's the dynamics of conversation are so different when we act from a place of curiosity and not from a place of anger. And I just think that's really important to emphasize, and again, like kudos to you for having that sort of self-reflection um, as you engage in these conversations because I think, many of us today are witnessing or even engaging in ourselves conversations that are driven purely by fear and anger. And, uh, it can be really hard to, um, yeah. come to firm conclusions in that case.
2: Yeah. I, I would say that I, I try to approach everything from a point of care is what I would say mm-hmm. um, about that. Uh, because if I get angry, anger always turns into being irrational within a conversation. Mm. Um, and so if I get angry while trying to make a point, I'm going to get off topic or end off point mm-hmm. um, versus if I stick with just the facts and basic levels of epistemology and proper questioning, mm-hmm. I can keep the conversation honest and possibly move it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um you know, versus if I just you know stop and call somebody a name. You know, it's mm-hmm. like at that point, if you call somebody a name, the conversation has ended. Yeah. Um. uh, And there's and you know there, there's not going to be any getting through to that person at that point because they're going to put up a level of defense in their in their mind. Yeah. Um, that is going to keep any logical thing that you might possibly have to say from getting to them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um. And that's just basic psychology you know? well yeah I was thinking like
1: you know the that what is it the amygdala little the, yeah. the fight or flight self-defense um, mechanism gets activated there so let's see I have uh, I'm trying to think just a couple of more questions I want to you know circle back around to the big question that's at the heart of this podcast but I I yeah. do want to ask you one question in particular about religion and politics so you yeah. are an atheist and have told this really beautiful story about that journey um, and sort of how that atheism linked to progressivism in your mind. And this is translated into your activism and the way that you vote. I'm wondering if you see a role for religion in politics anywhere. I mean, we know, of course, we have the first amendment separation of church and state, which has um, been bended and and moved in different ways uh, over American (laughs) history. Um, But yeah, I'm, I'm just curious if you have any reflection I guess any reflection on the role of religion in politics today from the perspective of your your atheist existence?
2: Before I find it helpful in certain ways, I find it more harmful right now because of how much power the GOP has and how much they're using it Mm. to to try to bend American laws um, and shape people's rights. Um, You know, because we have to remember that... uh, that the Bible was used as an argument for keeping slavery.
3: Mm -hmm. The
2: Bible was used as an argument for not allowing women to vote. Mm
3: -hmm. The Bible
2: was used as an argument for not allowing black people to vote. Uh, the Bible has been used as an argument for gay people not being able to get married. Mm -hmm. Uh, it has also been used as an argument for allowing employers to be able to fire gay people or uh, transgender persons. Um, and things like that, or even to fire black people. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, you know, so like that, that list goes on and on, and the Republican Party is still doing that mm. to this day. Um, like we see it all the time, and they're trying to use it right now uh, to to loosen uh, safe distancing measures
3: mm. um, mm-hmm. in a
2: lot of places. And so it's it's very, it's wildly frustrating to me when I see that. And also because with the majority of members in Congress being white Christians,
3: mm. they,
2: they use that particular aspect, not concerned about other religions mm. and also using their religion to hate the other religions, uh, like the insane measures, uh, against, uh, the Islamic community
3: mm-hmm. and everything
2: since nine 11, um, uh, you know, like all the all the stuff that Giuliani was doing in New York after 9/11, spying on Muslim communities, um, you know, things like that. Uh, so that's that's a very fresh, very frustrating thing to me. Um, and that's why. So let's see, what's the best way to put it? Like, because I don't, I don't hate religion.
1: Oh yeah, and I that's and how, that's what was yeah. that comment? Well, so what do you just hate religion? Like that was that the yeah, comment exactly. that you got? It's, yeah, I,
2: I don't hate religion. I absolutely hate aspects of religion get very frustrated with the way that it's interpreted and the way that because we all know the the wonderful grand scheme of cherry picking um oh yeah picking picking out what they want what they want to hate on whatever but oh the shellfish thing well ah, ignore that oh. all the the fabric of multiple or the clothing of multiple fabrics <laughs> what's that about but in the very next verse oh gay people yeah they're bad you know? uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, that's where it's just like, I don't want it in politics. Mm -hmm. I don't want religion in politics. If you want to use the good things about your religion to motivate you in politics, power to you, use that, use the canonical gospels um, and the good things that are in there, because there are, there are certain good things in there. I mean, I can break it down. There are also bad things in the canonical gospels, but um, there are definitely a lot of good things in there. And even if we're looking at it as like a mythological point, like Joseph Campbell, he said, if you look at the, the story of Jesus from a hero aspect, mm-hmm. he, he sacrificed himself for all of mankind is the ultimate conclusion of that story. And that makes him a hero. Use those things, use the good, use the good stuff, Yeah. But using, it, using it to segregate people and to diminish people. And to disenfranchise people, and to capitalize on the inequities that we have created for all of these communities, just don't use your religion to destroy somebody else.
1: Yeah, and, and that's know? and that's sort of what has been described, um, you know, by oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna am I gonna remember her name? Uh, Winifred Fowler Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Someone you should check out. She wrote a book called "The Impossibility of Religious Freedom." Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it tackles this idea, as I remember it, this is reaching way back to my first year of grad school, the idea of religious freedom and you know, the free exercise thereof, that, that clause in the First Amendment, it is an impossibility when your religion demands that you oppress Others and infringe on others. I I think it was Pete Buttigieg during the presidential uh, election this year, during a debate or a town hall, had said, "You know, I am all for religious freedom, but your religious freedom extends as far as you can punch your fist. You can't, you know." And and so that that sort of in my mind really laid out or lays out the arguments um, that you're making here quite well. And, And it seems like your major Contention with religion and politics is the use of religion and specifically the use of Christianity and a very particular variant of Christianity to oppress others. And that, yeah, yeah, Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about.
2: I mean, that's, you know, that's what they all want to believe this country is. They want to believe this is a Christian nation. It's not. Um, And based on that understanding, uh, they think that that gives them the right to rule over everybody else.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's um, this this is also one of the reasons why I wanted to this question came up in my head. As you can tell, I'm pretty free form. I have my two basic questions and then I'm pretty free form and yeah. how I because I am excited to promote this episode in contrast with Gabriella's episode, which you I don't know if you had had, had listened to, yeah, I listened Gabriella to, it. to it was a really good
2: conversation. Isn't
1: yeah. so it's just so interesting. Um, you know, she orients around like a Buddhist Christian framework uh, and that has driven her to progressivism and then you're Which coming at it from
2: because Buddhism is very pro- generally very progressive, you know, not, yes. not getting into Myanmar and whatnot. Um. And yeah.
1: And, and, and that's I high, the, there's certain Buddhist precepts that I find really compelling uh, as yeah. well. And it's, it's so interesting, you know, a lot of the self-reflective practices that you discuss um, in the context of your activism and, even just how you vote remind me of sort of the buddhist self reflection that i've practiced yeah, in my of. life. I mean, one of
2: my one of my all time favorite books is Herman Hesse's uh, <gasps> Siddhartha. <gasps> Siddhartha. You know? Oh.
1: Like i can i, I, I
2: could read that book again and again. I love that book.
1: It's I oh maybe i'll book. go pick that up off um, my
2: bookshelf. You know mm. because i love i like i love self reflection and you know whether it's religious or not religious it's i think it's something that we all need to actively more engaged within ourselves.
1: Agreed. Agreed. Because we certainly
2: don't do it enough.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I would hope, you know, the call for greater self-reflection... That's not a partisan statement. That's not an ideological statement. That's just a human statement, and I yeah. I fully endorse that. <laughs> uh, as you can tell, I, I try to stay generally pretty agnostic here in terms of how I um, you know am, am responding to far different from what a normal conversation would be between you and yeah. I. All right, so I want to get down to brass tacks here. Yeah. This big question that the podcast is centered around centered around what yeah. what does the vote mean to you? Is there anything else you'd like to add in any way that you you might interpret that question what what does voting mean to you
2: voting to me means doing my part to like to make life better for somebody else
3: mm. so you re- essentially
2: what that means because i'm i'm privileged enough at this point in my life to not have a lot of the deep concerns that a lot of the rest of the world has mm. um you know, like even in my job, like I don't have a college degree. If I were a black man, I would not be where I'm at in mm. this position. You know, what I do for work or anything like that. Like it's statistically, it, that's just true. My activism to me is about the active effort of thinking about others and putting them above myself. Yeah. Um, you know, because I will always vote to let's say for example i will always vote to pay higher taxes Mm -hmm. if that means that somebody else gets health care for example Mm. um or uh you know or like i'll vote for like an illinois to finally go to a progressive tax policy Mm. where those making more are taxed more those making less are taxed less right now it's a flat tax policy and i think that's garbage Mm. um like i am i am happy to pay more uh for what I make versus what somebody who earns at $20,000 yeah. pays in taxes. You know, and not just that, but as you know, not just so all the finances and healthcare and whatnot, but just rights in general. Mm-hmm. Like I vote at this point in my life, I vote because I want everybody's voice to matter and I want equal rights for everyone,
3: mm-hmm. you
2: know? Uh, because like right now, a lot of States are still getting around the issue on a legal level where they can fire somebody for being gay or being trans. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also now in the end, having a daughter now I vote for her,
3: Mm
2: -hmm. you know, like that. It means a lot to me to make this world a better place for her. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's, you know, that's all all of those things. Yeah, a lot of things, yeah. But,
1: yeah, yeah. No, and that, that answer so beautifully reflects the story that you've told about, like, your journey from uh, was a small town in Louisiana, small, small, more conservative town. No, so, oh.
2: well, so born in Indianapolis. Okay. And then, and then Columbus, Ohio until I was five. And then from five to 12, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Okay. And then after that, also, well, then my parents got divorced, and so every every other weekend I would go to Brandon, Mississippi, which is a very small town, in Mississippi. Mm, um okay. And then we moved to Grafton, Wisconsin, very small white person town in Wisconsin. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so that's so yeah, all very white conservative <laughs> areas.
1: So yeah. really, yeah, really quickly, I'm just, how did you end up in the Chicagoland area?
2: Um. So when. My brother got into the industry that he and I are both in now. Um, He got a job offer in Arlington Heights outside of Chicago. And um, so he took that. And so he was living here. And then when I graduated high school, I did a semester of college. And I was like, you know what? I just want to work and learn everything right now. Like I just had so many... I had seen so many stories of friends of mine that went to college and I saw their debts and I saw how much they didn't actually learn in college. And I was like, I don't want to do that right now. I just, I'm going to go work. I'm going to learn every industry that I get hired in as best as I can and management and things like that. So that's kind of what I was doing. And then when I graduated, so then when I uh, decided not to continue with college at the time I um, I did like another six months in Wisconsin, and I was like, you know what? I want to move to Chicago and also try professional theater. Mm. Um, so, so I did that. So that's so I moved in with my brother, um, and uh, and then my my very first audition was for uh, Stage Right Dinner Theater uh, for production of Anything Goes, and I got cast even though I didn't even have headshots yet. Um, <laughs> that's amazing. That's oh um, my
1: god. That's so cool. So
2: yeah, but I was I was the young pretty
3: chorus boy so
1: you made it work Um, you made it work yeah well you are (laughs) i (laughs) again i've seen you perform and say you are incredibly talented um and it's just wonderful that you are are also lending your voice to political activism yeah thank you truly thank you so much for taking the time i know that you're a parent and you have a full-time job and you are still leaving the house so i yeah. really really really
2: appreciate yeah. it and um, going into danger zones unfortunately
1: yeah so. i hope that you're staying safe um yeah, i know, I, I know I'm it's staying very safe
2: good that's good
0: that's all we have for today folks thanks for tuning in and many thanks as always to william lee our sound engineer and composer of the podcast theme music until next time